Good morning, Deep Run family. Um, this morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, if you are here with us or with us online and uh, need a Bible, just contact one of us and we'll find a way to get one to you. Um, please join me in reading from John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, 
lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We are approaching now the final week of Jesus's ministry, and we are discovering it in John's gospel, his intimate personal account known as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's giving us his perspective on the events of Jesus's ministry, and we are approaching that final week. It's getting close to Passover. And Jesus is back in Jerusalem with his disciples and also nearby Bethany. And at the center of today's episode in the town of Bethany near Jerusalem is Mary. Uh, There are several Marys in the Gospels. This is one of them. Mary who did a beautiful thing in pouring out this expensive perfume on Jesus and on his feet. And you know, the concept of outpouring, the idea, the image of pouring something valuable out is a great biblical image that even goes back to the Old Testament and to King David in his battles. Outpouring is a great biblical image of what a person does, of of what a person devotes herself to. A mother for her child, a soldier for his country, entrepreneurs for their startups, pouring themselves out for its benefit and its help. On the other hand, outpouring is what an addict does for their habit. Outpouring is what a dictator does for his power. It's what an influencer does for her influence. Devotion, the idea of devotion, and by the way, a biblical word for it is just worship. Devotion works both ways, doesn't it? We pour ourselves out. We give ourselves to what we cherish the most, what we prize and value and love the most. What do you pour yourself out for? Whom are you devoted to? True faith, for a follower of Jesus, true faith is a life lavishly devoted to Jesus, a life lavishly, abundantly, excessively poured out in devotion to Jesus Christ. And as we look at John chapter 12, we're going to look at the atmosphere surrounding Mary and Jesus at that dinner party in Bethany. And then we're going to look at the substance of her devotion, the substance of our devotion as Christians. And then we're also going to look at the proof. If there is substance to your devotion as a Christian, what's the proof of it? What's the proof of your devotion? So the atmosphere of our devotion for Jesus, the substance of our devotion as Christians, and the proof of our devotion. So the atmosphere surrounding our devotion to Jesus Christ is mixed in our world. 
The atmosphere is mixed with different types of people and different intentions, different motives, regardless of what you see and hear on the surface. I want to highlight a few instances in John chapter 12, not all of them, but a few instances of the social atmosphere and the religious atmosphere then, which I think is basically the same as things are now socially and religiously. I want to talk about Judas's corruption. I want to talk about the nearsightedness of Jesus's disciples and the hesitancy of religious leaders who wouldn't confess their devotion to Jesus. So we're going to look at three ideas hovering around Mary and Jesus in the atmosphere in Bethany. Corruption, nearsightedness, and hesitancy. The corruption of Judas Iscariot, we discover here, was always there. He didn't go rotten when Satan entered into him later on next week in order to betray Jesus. We see right here that it was already there, that Judas was already susceptible to an anti-Jesus way of looking at the world. He acted righteously, didn't he? He said, look, what a waste of perfume. Man, we could have taken that and sold it and used that money for the poor. It sounded righteously indignant, but his aims were crooked. John, who has that close view on Jesus as one of, one of the 12 disciples, John tells us that Judas really wanted something like that donated to the ministry so that the ministry account would increase and that would mean more loot for him because he kept putting his hand in the ministry bag. Now let's look at the disciples, the other disciples, specifically Andrew and Philip, and we see their nearsightedness. Their nearsightedness underscores the fact that they don't really get, even now, Jesus' mission, Jesus' purpose. We find out that some Greeks, which really is just a, a phrase for Gentiles, anyone in that area who's not a Jew, some Greeks come along and they want to see Jesus. This is in a public area and Jesus' popularity is rising. He had just resurrected Lazarus, this amazing miracle, and more people are flocking to Jesus. And, and what we discover is that Philip and Andrew go, well, I, 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 let's ask Jesus first. So they ask Jesus, hey, you got a bunch of Gentiles that want to see you. Uh, and Jesus turns it down. Now, I don't want to criticize Andrew and Philip too much, okay? Because they went and asked Jesus about it. But the fact that they had to ask Jesus, what do we do with all of these Gentiles, means they, they didn't know. They didn't know what to do with all these Gentiles. They had to go to Jesus and say, what should we do with them? And then Jesus' response reveals that they were off the mark. They wanted to bring all these Gentiles to Jesus, and Jesus basically says, it's not, it's not the time. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and I know that sounds exclusive, but it's really not. Not if Jesus was preparing to die. The time for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God would come very soon. Just read the book of Acts. But first, Jesus had to die for the Gentiles. Jesus had to die in order to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles that had existed for thousands of years. You can learn about that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So before reaching the Gentiles with his message, Jesus had to die for the Gentiles. So 
His disciples still don't understand him, and so they are nearsighted. They do not fully comprehend what his mission is about. But finally, you have these authorities, John tells us in verse 42. The authorities means the religious rulers, the religious leaders that were a part of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. These are the elders. These are the Sadducees. These are the high priests. Some of them were Pharisees. Uh, The leading religious class. And it says that some of them did believe in Jesus, but they would not openly confess it because they were afraid of what their colleagues would think of them if they expressed their devotion to Jesus. And so you see right there a glory-seeking culture amongst the religious establishment. They're seeking, John tells us, their own glory. They want to pat each other on the back. They don't, they don't want the, uh, their colleagues to think ill of them. They want to look good. Maybe even Nicodemus was among them, as we learned of, of him before. He kind of believed, but not quite yet. But there are believers in the midst of this ruling religious class, but they are afraid to express their devotion to Jesus. So you've got corruption, you've got nearsightedness, and you have hesitancy. Now, to put all of that in today's terminology, the finance manager is corrupt. The interns are off vision. And, and the leadership is, is, is about itself and about their own reputation and their own influence. You have corruption, you have interns who are off vision, and the establishment wants its own glory, right? These issues are perpetual. Perpetually throughout time, and this will continue, there is an atmosphere surrounding your devoted faith. There is an atmosphere of false devotion. That's the atmosphere, false devotion. You know, in verse eight, Jesus is basically saying to Judas, hey, leave Mary alone. She's done a beautiful thing for me. He goes on to say in verse eight, The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus, of course, is hinting there that their limited time with him on earth was drawing to a close. They didn't understand that. I don't even think Mary understood that. And still what she was doing for him was beautiful. Now, here's my point. When Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, if poverty would continue after Jesus accomplished his mission, then many other things would continue, right? If poverty was to continue after Jesus accomplished his work, then, of course, corruption would continue. Poor leadership would continue. Lack of faith and transparency in religious leaders would continue. The atmosphere would not change. You know, hidden among the church today, hidden among the church and not so hidden among the church are people and even leaders who have very different agendas than the God in whose name they speak and act, right? Even after Jesus achieved his mission, the atmosphere didn't change. It still hasn't changed 2,000 years later. So in, in an unchanging atmosphere like that, What does a changed person look like who has been changed by Jesus? What does faith, true faith, 
look like? What does devotion to Jesus in an atmosphere of false devotion look like? The substance of your devotion to Jesus is pictured here in what Mary did. The substance of your faith is in what you pour out. We're told in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of expensive ointment, and it's almost as, back in those days, almost as much as a pound, our pound. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Nard or um, spike nard, it came from India. It came from the Himalayas. So it had traveled very far to get to Palestine in that day. And Mary had lots of it. And do you realize if you look at the footnote, because it says 300 denarii, she, the, the economic value of what she poured out on Jesus was a year's worth of labor. I don't know, you know how much money you make in a year. Even if you make minimum wage, that's still a lot of money. A year's wages value poured out on Jesus' feet. You see, that's the substance of devoted faith. It's a picture of devotion. What you're devoted to costs you, doesn't it? What you're devoted to costs you dearly, but you're fine with it. You're not begrudging it. You're not complaining. What you're de- you complain about what you give out that you are not devoted to. But what costs you dearly, if you're devoted to it, you're fine with it. And so Mary mops up the excess perfume because she poured out so much of it that the whole house was filled with the aroma of this stuff, right? Like her devotion impacts everybody around her. And then there's this bit where where there's so much of it um, and it smells, you can smell it, and there's so much that she, she takes her hair, which is now unbound, and, and she mops up the excess on Jesus' feet is what a lot of scholars think. Now, devout Jews, for them, that would be a very embarrassing thing. The whole idea of a woman's unbound hair out in public had sexual connotations attached to it. Now, that wasn't Mary's fault. That, that's our base minds thinking about things, the base minds of those around her. It, it's more about us and our culture and the way our minds work than about what Mary actually did, right? Is, isn't, it, isn't it true uh, that, that when you pour yourself out in devotion to something or somebody, you do it with abandonment, right? You do it lavishly in ways that seem careless to other people, in ways that even seem reckless. Like, like when a teenager gets off of a bus because they've been at camp or, you know, doing something for two or three weeks and, and a mom comes and hugs her teenage son and just mwah, 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 mwah. That's embarrassing to a teenage boy or like my Long Island relatives, mwah, mwah. So embarrassing but it's lavish, it's reckless, it seems careless to the person who's pouring out their devotion. And in a similar way, the disciples and everyone in that dinner party was embarrassed by Mary's love for Jesus. 
Mary, whose, whose brother had been resurrected by Jesus. Mary, who we find in another gospel in Luke chapter 10, had sat at Jesus' feet at a gathering. Everybody's up and moving around, and, and Martha, her sister, is, is entertaining and doing everything you got to do as a host. And there's Mary, just sitting with Jesus, listening to him. It appears here that Mary's the only one who had been paying attention to what Jesus is about. Now, it's not likely that, that Mary understood that Jesus was about to die. You know, he says, she's done this beautiful thing. She's anointed me for my burial. It's not that, I don't know that it's, it's that G Mary had some prophetic sense that Jesus was about to die, but we still see that Mary knows what he's about because she's devoted to him. She's pouring herself out to him. She demonstrates in that atmosphere, she demonstrates faith. Because faith, when it is poured out, is costly and sometimes shocking to the people around you. Jesus would say in another place, quoting the old Hebrew Shema from Deuteronomy chapter six, he would say, love the Lord, with all your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's devotion. That's a life of outpoured devotion. So pour yourself out for Jesus. You want to follow him? Are you following him? Pour your life's best out for Jesus. Pour out for Jesus your mind's best. Pour out your strength's best, your best creativity, your best business practices, your best parenting and friendship. As our brother said earlier, your, your, your best attempts to forgive one another and seek forgiveness in peacemaking. Pour yourself out, pour out your best for Jesus, no matter what the atmosphere is. The apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter five, at one time, oh, we read this earlier today, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light because of Jesus, Paul meant. So he says, therefore, walk as children of the light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. What substance is pouring out of you? You think about your life, you think about what you're doing and what you're saying, what you're spending your money on, what you're giving your time to. What is pouring out of you? What is pouring out of your thoughts? What's pouring out of the work that you do? What's pouring out of your mouth in your speech? What substance is pouring out? Jesus is the light of the world, he has told us. He says, um, he says, be children, be sons of the light, right? And what we see and what Paul is saying here is, is when we walk in the light with Jesus, he exposes what, what's coming out of us. Whatever we're pouring out of ourselves in devotion to something or to someone, when we walk in the light with Jesus, he exposes it. He exposes the substance of your devotion to see whether it is a gift to him or whether it is waste, no matter how impressive it looks to everybody else. So look at your life and ask yourself, is the substance of my devotion costly? Would my devotion to my God appear awkward or even embarrassing to some people? The mark of false devotion, or, or I would call it pseudo-worship, 
The mark of false devotion is some uh, devotion is some form of idolatry. Idolatry very simply is this. It's giving to anyone or giving to anything the devotion that God alone deserves. And we see in the atmosphere of John chapter 12 the very same elements of religion and social activism that we still see in the world today. Think about it. Uh, The conservative church seems pious, but it is enslaved to image and branding and numbers and growth. The liberal church seems socially just, but it also is enslaved to power, to influence, and corruption. The New Testament scholar, in commenting on Judas's approach to Mary's act of devotion, says this, because it hits on both sides. He offends everybody here. He says, if self-righteous piety sometimes snuffs out genuine compassion, it must also be admitted with shame that social activism, even that which meets real needs, sometimes masks a spirit that knows nothing of worship and adoration. You see, the difference between everyone in the room in John chapter 12 and Mary, the difference between everyone and Mary is that appearances and talk are cheap. But devotion is costly. Devotion costs you everything. And Jesus' words in verse 36, believe in the light, he tells the crowds who aren't convinced. They like the miracles, but they don't know about him. He tells them, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. That's an invitation to follow Jesus on his terms, not yours. It's an invitation to follow Jesus, not on the world's terms, but on his terms. Judas couldn't follow Jesus on his own terms. Philip and Andrew and the crowds And the religious authorities, they couldn't follow him on their own terms. That's why they are corrupt. That's why they are hesitant. That's why they are nearsighted, because they're trying to do just that, follow him on their own terms. But he says, come into the light. Become children of the light. The proof of devotion to Jesus is self-denying sacrifice. The proof of devotion to Christ is self-defying sacrifice. And Jesus proves it in himself. These Gentiles are waiting to see Jesus. This is amazing. Like beyond the Jews, now the word is getting out to the Gentiles and it seems like the kingdom of God is advancing in amazing ways. Like the Old Testament prophets declared, The nations coming to Jerusalem to see the glory of God. But this is how Jesus defines the glory of God. He says, hold on, I'm not ready. It's not time to bring the word to the Gentiles. And he says it this way. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Finally, his time had come. But not in the way that everybody else expected, right? We've been reading through the Gospel of John, and his brothers are telling him, 
make a name for yourself, go up to Jerusalem, right? And, and all of his disciples, they're looking for you. Let's get things moving, build the brand, take it to the next level, Messiah, right? And he keeps telling them, no, 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 why? He keeps saying, my hour has not yet come, right? And now they're saying the same thing to him. And he says no again, but for the exact opposite reason, because his time had come. No, I'm not building the brand because my time has come. What did he mean by that? He says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus is saying, this is how the glory of God is gonna be revealed. I have to go and die. Yes, he would rise from the dead, but he had to go and die. Jesus, this is so important for, for performers like me. Jesus is the anti-celebrity. I wrote that in my journal when, when, I, when I was reading through the Gospel of John last year. Jesus is the anti-celebrity. At the prime moment to build his brand and take it to the next level after the resurrection of Lazarus, when the Gentiles, where, whereas the Pharisees say the whole world is coming out to see Jesus, he tells his disciples it's time to die. Now, his Holy Spirit would reach the Gentiles. Just read the book of Acts. But now it's time for God the Son to die. He's the anti-celebrity. And that's what accomplishes reconciliation. That's what accomplishes our forgiveness. That is true devotion. In a constant atmosphere of false devotion, Jesus was devoted to his heavenly father. Jesus poured himself out, heart, soul, mind, strength, for his heavenly father. Jesus poured himself out, blood and water for you. In gratitude for that grace and in unity with him for that vision, you pour yourself out for him. That's proof, that sacrificial, self-defying, self-denying devotion is proof that the substance pouring out of you is legit, like that perfume. It's legit, it's genuine. It's pure. True faith is a life lavishly devoted to Jesus. Whatever the atmosphere is, whatever atmosphere you find yourself in, devotion is lavish outpouring. It costs us, but we're happy to do it. We expend our all, but for Jesus, we're happy to do it. Like Mary was happy to do it because she knew everything he had done for her. She knew what he was about. Do you know what Jesus is about? Do you know all that he's done for you? When that becomes enough for you, when that becomes what you were most excited about and he's the one you wanna worship above everything and everyone else. Pouring yourself out for him becomes a joy. You don't care. You don't care what, I mean, you gotta be wise. You can't be a jerk about it. You gotta be wise and prudent and thoughtful and intelligent and patient, but you don't care that other people are embarrassed about your devotion to your Lord. Jesus is worth our outpoured, outpoured devotion. Doesn't matter what's happening in the world or in Carroll County or in our communities. 
or in our families, Jesus is always worth our outpoured devotion. So pour out your life's best for Jesus, whatever the road ahead of you looks like. Look at what Jesus was looking at. Look at what was coming around the corner next week and he gave himself, he poured himself out. Look at all the uncertainty and the confusion and the commotion surrounding Mary and her situation and she poured out her devotion to Jesus. You do the same. And if you don't think Jesus is worth pouring yourself out for, my friend, I'm so sorry. You haven't tasted him yet. You don't know him yet. And I'm glad you're here because we're all about Jesus here as a church. May not always look that way. We have the same, Lord willing, we don't. We are susceptible to the same corruption as Judas. We are as nearsighted as James, as Philip and Andrew were about what God's doing in the world. We are sometimes as hesitant and embarrassed to rejoice about Jesus in our neighborhoods and amongst friends and family and coworkers. We struggle with the same things that you see in that atmosphere. The difference is somebody poured himself out and his devotion was pure. Your devotion, your devotion at best is like, like partial. It's, it's tainted, it's stained by your sin. Jesus' devotion was pure. And that's why we say, that's why we say that we believe in Christ's righteousness for God's forgiveness, not our own. So if you don't think Jesus is worth pouring out your all for, then I am excited to introduce you to him. And I'll bet you there's a lot of women and men in this room who would love to point you toward Jesus as they are following him. Let's pray. Oh, what wonder, how amazing. We praise you, Lord Jesus, as we sang earlier today for your great love for us, how devoted you were, body, soul, mind, and strength, blood and water, how you poured yourself out for the heavenly Father, how you poured yourself out in devotion to him and to benefit us. May we, Lord, may we, in, in, in thankfulness, and in solidarity with our Lord Jesus, pour ourselves out for him in this life. And may that devotion to Jesus have a, a, um, a, a growing effect in our lives. May we, as we outpour ourselves to Jesus Christ, may we benefit one another and benefit this world. In Jesus' name, we are devoted to you. Amen.